Hello, everybody. Oh, I know it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit informal beginning here, but I just wanted to welcome you all. I'm gonna get my uh, my screen up here in a a quick second. Here we go. Perfect. Perfect. Great. Fantastic. So welcome, welcome to my unswept uh, basement. I've got leaves, fall leaves around me in the basement still because every time I open up the door, the outside comes in. So welcome to Unswept Basement by Frank. This is book club, ladies and gentlemen. This is book club. It's session, session two. There is no quite frankly tonight because it is my beautiful wife Lauren's birthday today. So tonight we're just going to take it easy and enjoy uh, the baby for as long as she's awake. And then, you know, have some coffee and some cake and all that other good stuff. So I hope that you are all enjoying your time here with me already. And um, what do we got going on? Well, it's session two. I see everybody. I see um, Iluna Moondrops and a few other people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Moanon, everybody hanging out on the DLive and also on, quite frankly, TV on the Foxhole, Jay Jewel. Uh, Sharon, Moanon is over there too. We've got a doppelganger. Which one is the good Moanon and which one is the evil one? Rosie, uh, Moira, Dr. Hoffman, hello everybody. I'm going to be checking in with you. We also have this wonderful thread that we are working off of on the Reddit. This has been such a wonderful uh, um experience. I especially love the threading here because if we don't have any time to take on calls, which um, I have not given myself enough time to test the technology down here to be confident with that, but uh, we can do that a little bit more often where we take some calls with me and Timothy. Um, and uh, and yeah, I will be joined by him in a little while, in just a couple of, couple of minutes. And um, the first thing I want to read to you is a little something that came from a member of the audience. Where do I have it? Where do I have it. Here you go. This is from Christina. Okay. Now, Christina was just uh, commenting on last Friday's episode with Akira the Don in general, and then book club session number one. And I thought that it would be a nice way to kick off tonight because I really believe that what we've started here together is very fun. It's very, very necessary. And it's going to be invigorating going forward when we pick new book titles, when we start incorporating some film review, things like that. Christina said, I just wanted to reach out and express how much Rise, Adrian, this is from Rise Attire, how Adrian and I enjoyed listening to the interview with Akira last night. It was fully inspiring and entertaining conversation. You guys had a great on-air chemistry, and there were some really moving emotional moments that brought us to the edge of tears. It was a great follow-up to Thursday's show with Kathy O'Brien, reiterating the resounding theme of the beauty and strength of the human spirit. Your little corner of the airwaves is a very real hub for humanity to connect and elevate one another while collectively ranting, learning, laughing along the way. I, 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 I completely connect with that, and that's what I'm most grateful about the work that we do and, and, why, and even more grateful that it's able to sustain itself and grow. She continues, sometimes the best first interview with a guest can be a little, uh, a little formal, but now that you guys have a ball rolling, we really hope that you have him back. Um, also, 
I am a card-carrying member of the official Quite Frankly Book Club. I wanted to say how awesome the review stream was with Timothy Gordon. Participating in that live stream helped me retain so much more from the reading, and it's really engaging to hear both of your thoughts on what we've read. This idea is going really well. Timothy Gordon is one of our favorites that you have on regularly, and he's the best possible partner to weigh in on this particular novel. Can't wait for the next book club meeting. Keep up the great work. Much love. See you in the chat. Well, it's the next book club meeting. And I agree with all that, especially the assessment of Timothy Gordon and how what he, what he uh, adds to this, and especially how when I got off the air last Friday evening and we had concluded book club session one, I felt more connected to exactly what was going on in a book that I was reading at that point than I, God knows the, the last time. I think the discussion, I think the listening to what other people are observing, um, personal anecdotes like Timothy's time in Italy, um, in, in uh, around in and around the Vatican, and like I said, the reading off of the thread of all the people out there in the audience who are reading along and doing that. I think that that is the uh, that is the best thing here for us. So uh, Timothy should be with us any moment. He can come and join us whenever he'd like. So. The, uh, whenever he'd like. So we did chapters 10 through 19. So that means to the end of 19, we should be staring chapter 20 in the face for the next the next couple of uh, for the next round here. I gotta I gotta admit I had to read 40 pages today, and I did it pretty quickly. I was I was very I was very proud of myself. I I felt that groove again. I've never been known to be a speed reader. Because I think there's a method to that, but I have been I have been teaching myself to speed read, and the retention has been great. And when I have time to sit down and savor every syllable, I like doing that. But today uh, it was just a crazy week with you know Wednesday being completely dedicated to that the uh, brought the um, the musical performance at the Capitol Theater, and then all the practicing before then. It was a weird week as far as quite frankly and my my regular routine. So chapters 10 through 19. It starts off uh, with this Strasbourg summit or the uh, what's it, what's the guy's name? Forget the guy's name. I'll, we'll get into it here. Uh, Timothy will will be able to will be able to bounce off each other and then I'll get into the thread. But it really is for this this big stretch, I believe, a gigantic setup for what they have all agreed to being the necessary removal of the Slavic Pope. The necessary removal of this um, stick in the mud, this turd in the punch bowl of the New World Order. That's exactly what the Slavic Pope represents uh, for, for this particular group of people. Now, what I want to do is... I also want to make sure that we get the character key up, and I think that we had that character key in, let me get into the, the first, the week one thread. Where is, that's uh, chapter two, let me go to the week one thread, because somebody had put a better, a better thread in there. I mean, a better link in there for a character key that was not behind a paywall. Here is week one. Good. And here it is, fisheaters.com. 
So we have a lot of people in here that pop up, especially in that Riverside Drive meeting in New York. I think it is the the uh, the the best one that we the best chapter out of all this right now. Let me tell Tim we're ready for him. Uh, let's see here. So um, first one up. Let's see. I don't want to jump right to that one just yet. But it was a little bit more of the the that aura of this Strasbourg summit where you have this the elite getting together and boy oh boy they really do love their summits don't they they're always doing it we get we get the the G78 the G9 the G6 whatever the hell it is You've, we've got Davos we've got now just the world government summit that has been taking place uh, or just wrapped uh, about a week or two ago Tim you there Tim, you hear me? Gotcha. Oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Wonderful. Because this is the first time I'm doing this from, I'm Zoom. doing this from, uh, whatchamacall at home. So there we go. Let me, window capture device. There's Tim. Perfect. All right. We're doing well here. We're doing well. So Tim, I was just talking about the chapters that we're going through here. Chapters 10 through 19. It opens up with this Strasbourg Summit. And I, I just made the comment how, you know, it's very obvious that the elite in every, no matter what sector of society, whether it be financial, religious, or otherwise, government, they love their opulent summits, don't they? It felt, it, it felt like, uh, they must feel like living on Mount Olympus for these people. Yeah, I mean, why not, why not live on a borrowed dime, if you're going to do so anyway, live on a borrowed, uh, you know, silver dollar instead of the dime. Yeah, no, no, it is. It's it's just like that. And I think that what I, I get around to here now is a few things. Let me go up on to my notes. I have a lot of a lot of highlights. Um, going back to the where the hell are we? It was chapter ten we started. Ch oh yeah, page one hundred, and even one hundred. I think it was around where my oh my. Okay, 108, 108. This is where we start seeing how there's a little bit more of a an art, a well-articulated marching toward not eliminating the Vatican, the Catholic Church, but keeping it, keeping it in place and being able to install all these little gizmos and gadgets called councils, all these these outside groups of people that can come in and bear down on their influence. Much, pretty much NGOs, pretty much these these defense contractors, as you would put over here in the United States. Who's really in charge of the United States government? Is it the con Congress or is it all these unaccountable side organizations that wield a lot of political power and really know how to bend you to their will? And that's what I was looking up here. The, the, and this here it is. I one one thing I have. Here we go. And through the ICCL, C-A-R-R, and the J-A-P-E-C, this same majority of bishops now speaks increasingly in the name of the Holy See. More and more, in fact, legislatively and by the way of counsel, these bishops now speak in place of the Holy See. So it's more so about this subverting of what this central papal authority is, which is kind of interesting because in, a, um, in an American standpoint, 
we have this problem where they're trying to centralize the power of everything they can into the presidency so that whenever they can find a way to do away with elections altogether, there is just this very cozy relationship between the Oval Office and the courts. Uh, just executive orders and, and the legislative branch is nothing but a bunch of political clapping seals as we're, we're seeing that becoming the case. So wh- what do you think about this aspect of the slow deterioration of the authority of the Pope and uh, and going through all the options they have to achieve that? Like you said, Frank, it, in America, the Masons have worked uh, – largely on the Supreme Court, seven, seven out of nine Masons on SCOTUS in the 40s. It rose to eight out of nine in the early 50s. They rose to uh, centralized power in the Vatican because of the, at the behest, I should say, of the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita, which this, this second reading was like Alta Vendita, uh, the intercepted papal document in the middle 1800s. The power is decentralized, and it's diffuse over all the bishops. And, um, yeah, I don't want to get ahead of where you're talking about, but we find out that when when these uh, midnightly uh, bad guys, Maestroani in particular, have been talking about doing away with the pontificate, when they've been talking about doing away with the absolute authority of the church, they don't actually mean that in the strict sense of the term. They mean, well, hey the process of uh, the new bringing the new world order to bear will involve just watering it down so much that you know a true religion will look like any other fake religion for lack of a better term so they still want to keep them around it's it's exactly how the alta vendita proceeds in reading in reading this uh i think it was chapter the chapter was called best laid plans it's around, yeah. it's around page 115 through 117. Now you have all these cardinals and bishops that have gotten together to discuss what, what's, uh, what's going on, and especially when they talk about South America and whatnot. Here is, and you start realizing how devious, they're a little bit less forthright about what they're doing. In chapter 13, which I believe that if we're going to talk about anything for this entire hour, chapter 13 is everything to me. Um, of course, there's more. There's 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 great character development that goes on afterwards. I think that the uh, the the um, the New Orleans uh, cardinal, uh, the the bishop uh, O'Leary, he's really interesting character there. Um, a little bit more on the Gladstones, what they're setting up at Windswept House seems like it's going to be a confrontation between Christian and his brother Paul, because yeah. when we leave off. At the end of chapter 19, we have Ceci, her, uh, the, the Gladstone's mother, the matriarch of the family, who is just ordering a major renovation of the whole house to make sure that everything is ready for the arrival of her children. And there's, there's a lot. It, that was a wonderful chapter, that last one there. We don't have to get into that just now because it's, uh, like I said, the biggest thing is chapter 13. But still, listen to this. This is from 116. In those third world countries, I believe that this is uh, Cardinal Palumbo, who's a he's a he's a he's a snake bastard. He said, in these uh, in those third world countries, successive successive generations of imperialist imperialistic minded clerics once preached a, a Pacific and milk toast uh, devotional theology, but now those millions of men and women have rejected such impotence. 
They have opted for their own long overdue financial, economic, political liberation. Those millions battle now not with rosaries and novenas, but with the strength of their own arms and with the strength of their, of their ballots. Really, above all, they, um, above all, they battle with the force of the spirit in them. And uh, that's, of course, the Black Pope's eyes flashed in agreement, which finally I understand what the Black Pope is. That's the Father General of the Jesuits. I never knew that. Um, yep. Which, uh, you know, Francis being a Jesuit, that's why people were calling him the Black Pope. Right. Right. Yeah, for, first ever Jesuit Pope. And there were actually a couple uh, papal interdicts at various times throughout the late medieval ages where there supposedly was an interdict lane on the entire order. There could never be a Jesuit Pope, so that's supposed to be a big deal. But yeah, the, the, the Black Pope doesn't mean actually the Pope in, in most cases. It's an old term. It just means Jesuit. Well, it, well, in this passage that I just read, I think that was one of the real, uh, the real ways I, I thought that it was well uh, best expressed how these clerics that would get together, the prelates, when they would get together and talk about the process, the New World Order, it, it would be masked and cloaked in ways like that, uh, where obviously they're talking uh, on a level of heresy because they're supplanting the faith, and right. they're, they're, they're injecting instead very secular um, socio-political themes into the, the entire thing. And I guess that's part of the, the, the bigger overall... Um, like process but th this was the big thing and then of course when you go and you compare it to the next chapter this was chapter 12 the next chapter chapter 13 it is just the cat is out of the damn bag and we'll get to that into a second i have yeah. i have yeah. one more thing here this is at the end of chapter 12 um in contrast to the barren silent darkness that settled in on the schumann house that's why it was the uh, the robert schumann um affair uh, Fatima, this was, I love this, com this, um, this comparison. While, yeah. while the, the New World Order types and the, the Mastroianni types are going back and they're, they're just coordinating among themselves and making sure that their best laid plans are all, the, everybody's in, in agreement on every tenant what the goal is. They want to remove or destroy the power of the papacy. Um, but in this case... They end chapter 12 by the contrast of what was going on with the Fatima gathering. It right. said, in contrast to the barren silent darkness that settled in on the Schumann house, Fatima had become, a dark, uh, uh, had become a darksome and velvet sea through which a winding stream of tiny flames moved to the rising and falling cadences of the Ave Maria voiced by the thousands of pilgrims, each carrying a lighted candle who took part in the procession around the basilica. It was a contrast between the dusty memories of long-dead men, silenced forever in Strasbourg, and the living, breathing soul of the believing community, renewing its quickened, uh, quickened hopes and lively faith in the immortality guaranteed only by the all-powerful Son of the living God, and delivered to mankind by the fiat of a village maiden now become the Queen of Heaven and the Mother of all human beings. Something special was enacted by that pr procession. Monsignor Daniel, uh, Daniel reflected as he walked slowly behind the Slavic Pope, something symbolic of mankind's condition. Christians were never promised worldwide victory. By biblical definition, they would never be more than a remnant. 
a stump of once great tree, pruned and cut down to size by the hand of God, rewarding love but maintaining the justice of his law. And finally they said, Here tonight all those who followed the lead of the Holy Father were walking the only sure path to salvation. For Monsignor Daniel, for all the following of the Roman Pope, for his Roman Pope himself, those precious minutes of singing venerations for the Blessed Lady of Fatima provided a sweet respite for all, the tired souls, the frightened souls, the wavering souls, the, uh, the, uh, per, the, the perfervid souls. For the dark around them was light enough for their comfort, and the light around them was dark enough to allow the steel of their faith to pierce the human skies and reach the throne of the Father in heaven. And when I was reading through that, the first thing that came to my mind was that that fatigue. And they said the, the weariness, and that's, I, I think that I love, that's why I love O Holy Night so much as, as a uh, Christmas song, that, uh, that thrill of hope, the re, uh, a weary world rejoices. And yeah. that was the real case for delivering us World War I and World War II. It was to destroy. It was an, uh, there's an undeniable link between World War I, World War II, and New World Order attempts. I mean, it was broken families. It was completely depleted spirit. It, was de- it destroyed several generations of European and American men. And, um, and, and, it, and, and after every lance into the side of Europe and the world through those world wars, there was an attempt to galvanize everybody together in the League of Nations, then, of course, the UN, and now here we have even bigger um, operations with the, e- with the emergence of the EU in the early 90s, as is uh, cloaked by that, uh, the EC in this, and then yeah. how do they bring the, the faith centers of the world into the fray? It's, um, I think that, that fatigue, but that respite in, in, in faith has been pretty amazing to read about. Yeah, remember how central Fatima is. I think it was at the end of the last reading. Maybe it was the very beginning of this one when Maestro Ani, uh, the Slavic Pope, discovers had canceled his meeting with Sister Lucy, uh, and and he he just has his uh, his his trusted advisor there, un 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 de unschedule it. And of course, he ends up having that that meeting with her that we're not we're not privy much to specifics about, but. Um, that that's central throughout the plot of this thing. And remember, everyone out there, not not to be over remedial, but Malachi Martin had as the right hand man to uh, Augustine Cardinal Bea, who's one of the characters in this. He's just called the Jesuit Master or something. I don't think we've met him yet. He is. Uh, he's he's read the Third Secret of Fatima, and you know this is one of the the very first things you and I started talking about, Frank. So our author knows the secret of secrets and um so anytime there's a reference in uh, to, to fatima particularly to the third secret of fatima all the world wanted to know new york times la times london observer and our author is one of the few that had gotten a peek at it that was still alive in the 90s in mm-hmm. addition to sister lucy so your, your ears should perk up he knew it and he said it was a very very big deal he confirmed that much now there's so much here now coming up in the second in the second um oh in, in in the following chapter. Now this is it. Chapter 13, I think that if if anything's going to be discussed at great length, this is where the the devotion, the open and naked devotion to the devil really is expressed 
uh, in startling ways here. I mean, this this council of twelve or thirteen, they get together. There's a I would have to imagine there's a sim, this there's a thirteenth seat that is open, and there's just a a red dossier sitting in it. I yeah. I took from that, and I don't know if everybody else did, or if there's a there's something that actually confirms it that that open thirteenth seat is actually very symbolically open for who they refer to as the prince himself. Is that is that an open seat for the devil? Yeah, the, the thirteen being one of the many uh, numerical signs for the devil. Uh, it's it's also associated with uh, Judas Iscariot, right? Who who would require a a replacement, the thirteenth apostle. Uh, the the red. I was trying to remember my my Puritan imagery from tenth grade literature. What the red uh, book mean? You know, when the when the Puritans believed if you wanted to make a deal with the devil, you signed a big black book at three in the morning in the forest but the the red dossier is certain this is all it's not even that subtle right frank it's like you know they're they're just get to about the fourth page of the the chapter and uh you know third page right there on 125 this reminded me explicitly of that wall that marina abramovich had had pictured and it was all over youtube uh in, in november of 2016 it says um uh, right in the middle paragraph of the page, each had passed through the tests of capital F fire, capital P pain, and capital D death. Each had received the seal of the final utterance on his soul. It's somber stuff. All here were bespoken men. That was the unifying force at Cliffview House. Still, the devotion to the prince was the distinguishing trait of Ralph Channing's little gathering at Cliffview. Such devotion had nothing to do with the goat-like figure sprouting pointy ears and cloven hoods and smiling like a polecat on holiday in a garbage dump. I mean, the funny thing here is there's simultaneous, uh, it's like, it's like post-ironic humor. He's, you know, Malachi Martin, our author, is telling us from the omniscient third-person perspective, this is real, real uh, devil worship, but don't, but, you know, but we're not, so we're not being proverbial, but at the same time, don't expect this, um, uh, impish, Mephistophelian, uh, goateed, goat devil figure. It's like, well, that that's what it is, though. I, I don't know if that line struck you oddly as well. It, it did. And, and you know what the other thing there, too, is just the, the members of this. This is an interesting thing because this uh, Cliffview House, I went to the character cape, and the Cliffview House is supposedly on Riverside Drive in New York, and I would actually love to do a drive-by on this soon. Um, just to take a look at the structure that they're talking about, because hold on, I have, I have this. Um, I'm getting my key up too, by the Cliff, way. Cliffview House. It, he says over here it says 304 with it. I don't know. It's question mark. 304 Riverside Drive, New York. Now here's the crazy thing. As far as the people at the meeting, it starts with Nicholas Clatterbuck. Let's see here. It says it's a real person still living. But I don't have anything on that. Same thing with Dr. Ralph Channing, who seems to be a, a real uh, power slinger OG type. Um, then we have Jacques, uh, Jacques the banker. That is supposed to be Klaus Schwab. Right. Um, right. Let's see. Jacques, that was the first one up there. Let's see. Who's another one? Uh, Gwyneth Blashford. Let's see. Gwyneth, uh, that's a, a publisher. Bertelsmann. Who's Bertelsmann? Is that a is that a publishing house or is that a last name? 
I don't know. I looked that up too. Uh, Bert, Bertelsmann, you know, with two ends there. Guinness, Blashford, Public. I, I didn't get that one. But, well, um, Brad Gerstein Snell, Ted Turner. He, Ted Turner was at this. Sir Jimmy Blackburn. Blimey, Jimmy Blackburn, South Africa diamond dealer, James Goldsmith. That's who that was supposed to be. And then Kuhn Kiamoy, a master of Far Eastern charter shipping. Who is that supposed to be here? Kuhn Kiamoy, Korea, real person, still living. That's all we got on that. Oh, I thought that was... Is it the um? Wait, how do you spell Kuhn? Uh, I, th- I thought one of these is clearly Bon Ki Moon of the UN, the Korean. That right? could, that, that that's probably has to be it then. Because there was a there was like a something. What was it? Where where is it? Sorry, this. Now that it, it was like a mind blower that this is two that this list comprises two separate pages here. Um, Tensa Bene, I was looking into uh, uh, Cardinal Loggi. Uh, I want to I want to talk to you about um, Silvio Cardinal Aretine, uh, who's becoming a bigger bigger player in this. That he, he I know a great deal about the real man there. Um, yeah, no, I yeah I thought, I thought that was Bon Ki Moon. Yeah, here's the uh, here's a little bit. Well, that's that was the character key, but there's a little bit over here. Um, this Dr. Ralph Channing might have been considered the odd man out, and said, however, he was something more than a peer. Born into long-established Huguenot family in Maine, Channing had done his studies at Yale. But here we go. Renowned for his encyclopedic grasp on records of the Knights Templar, the Holy Grail tradition of Freemasonry, in particular the Ordo Templi Orientis, the OTO. Um, that, that's a that's another one of those those organizations that people like Jack Parsons, a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the the Nazi rocket scientists that we brought over during Paperclip were in the Eastern Temple. So we start going into how everybody's back backstories, how it really is filled with the occult. Not only that, but we have here um, how these are the people who are behind the successful planning of the Department of Education which has been a, a colossal failure in turning people into slaves of the state and water carriers for the worst ideas ever con- conceived by man. And then we have here, let me go here, What's what do I have? Hello, okay, here is now on page 125, it's chapter 13, I don't know, it's like three paragraphs up from the top. And each had found that service to the prince of this world was the only goal that satisfied each had passed through the testifier you brought this up, pain and death. Each had received the seal of final utterance on, on his soul. All were bespoken men. That was the unifying force at Cliffview House. And it reminds me, just reminds me of like people like that, uh, that Harari Halavi guy that hangs out the World Economic Forum that talks about the, the transhumanism all the time and useless eaters and this and that. It just is a constant reminder of the company that these people keep. Um, yeah. And I'm talking especially people like Klaus Schwab, who who present themselves as very benevolent, um, uh, you know, hope uh, hopeful stewards of mankind, but they actually have nothing but the utmost contempt for a free humanity. And it's just all over the place in this, this chapter. Yeah, and I, I double-checked... Uh... So I don't want to pull your your mind in different directions, but that that definitely is Bon Ki Moon, who is uh, has consulted with the Francis Pontificate. He's a UN. He's one of the three 
four years ago, he was considered one of the three or four biggest names of the, the driving force behind globalism. Before we had COVID to talk about, Ban Ki-moon was like UN president or something, right? He's Korean. And yeah, that name is, is Korean. Maybe he wasn't uh, such a big player in 1996 where he just says a, a person's still living. But that is definitely him. Uh, yeah. and, they're, and, and, and they're all buddies. On the Klaus Schwab uh, tip, uh, where, where is it? You already read this. I just wanted to say, re- renowned for his encyclopedic grasp of the records of the Knights Templar, Holy Grail tradition and Freemasonry, in particular the OTO. Ordo Templi Orientis, especially associated with uh, esotericism. You know, the, the, the mo- I, I, as far as I know, the most associated with esotericism among the Masons. Um, they, they have all these different levels. But I, I'm, I'm trying to prove the case that's already proven because we're seeing we already saw satanic uh, consecration in the in the prologue, and we're now we're seeing these guys admitting what they're doing. So, you guys like you and I. Frank are always just trying to be like, oh, they, they admitted it. This is a 75% strong case. Marina Abramovich, look at, we're used to connecting all these dots, but we're getting to look at what's going on behind the scenes. And um, it's, it's, I can't get my, my brain out of evidentiary proof mode. As oh, it yeah. Says. Oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, that, that comes up again too, the, the, uh, the enthronement Ritual comes up again in a little bit, uh, I, I, and I want to I want to bring that up again. But first, here's more from that from page one twenty six. Yeah, their true advantage, as any of them would attest, stemmed from one thing only: the de- the dedication of each to spirit as such. A second advantage, uh, oh, such that they the per, uh, that um, to that personage. They all described as the prince. The advantages afforded by that abiding interest seemed infinite to them. A second advantage lay in their ability to understand the process. They okay. So now this is the um, this is the big thing here. Their vantage point allowed them to understand that the process is not a matter of one generation or one century. And though they themselves had risen so high above its day-to-day, year-to-year workings as to recognize the very face of the intelligence behind it, they accepted the reality that for most of human population, even for most adherents and propagators who functioned at the inferior levels, the process is only known in its workings. And this is, this is uh, one, of those, one of those traps that when everybody, whenever anybody talks about you know, a um, uh, the Great Awakening, uh, especially an American Awakening. The Great Awakening should be how everything around us is truly not, um, it's not viable. That that tree of liberty has been so dry rotted and dead and gone, it needs, to, the, the stump needs to be ground out and it needs to, the soil needs to be tilled and fertilized again and something new needs to be planted. For people to, like, there was a lot of people that, um, that saw the election of Donald Trump as an opportunity to really tr- uh, to change the tide in the time that he was around. And to think about four years in the span of the centuries that these people have been working in cover of darkness with their, with their, with their meetings and their glad-handing and that very Romanistic uh, type of, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, Machiavellianism. It is such a slow burn, and they have committed to this process that may not even include them being alive to see the end result. They are just 
passing the baton along. And if if we don't understand the long game and the way that they are they are uh, moving, then we are constantly going to set ourselves up for disappointment when things don't turn around by next Christmas, by Easter after that. Yeah. Let me read you something, Frank. This will, this will stagger you. Uh, the Pope doesn't come out of, uh, this does not come out of windswept house. I define this. The Pope, whoever he may be, will never come to the secret societies. It is for the secret societies to come first to the church with the aim of winning them both. The work which we have undertaken is not the work of a day. This sounds like the first line of the paragraph you just read. The work we have undertaken is not the work of a day, nor of a month, nor of a year. It may last many years, a century perhaps, but in our ranks the soldier dies and the fight continues. This is called Satan's Revolution in Tiara and Cope. This is from the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita. Several times here in chapter 13, I thought I was reading the uh, permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita, and it's, it's clear what, what had happened. I was laughing to my wife, Steph, here, because you underlined all the exact same spots that I have. But you're, you're going through yours, and they're just, I was showing her. Yeah, it, 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 well, it just slaps you in the face along the way. And, yeah. I, well, here's another one, like toward the end. Uh, it was capital for the process that change now had become dominant trait of human society. This is page 126. Minds were being changed. Living language itself was being molded by changing minds. The vocabulary of politics and geopolitics was the vocabulary of change. Internationalism had made way for multinationalism, for example. Then transnationalism took center stage. Very soon it would be globalism. At every level of life, minds and, uh, minds and society itself were being molded and remolded by the never-ending chain reaction of change. Society had come to the brink of recasting its basic structure, shedding its cocoons of separatism. Universalism would soon bring all men and women into one family, one embrace. When change becomes the slogan and the watchword of society at large, the evolution that is the process becomes ever more acceptable, ever more respectable, ever more inevitable. And that is everything about what we're dealing with right now. This is the reason why... We know it's impossible to have conversations and honest debates because you know that if you say one thing, a sizable portion of everybody listening is going, to, is going to see it from one perspective and then another one is going to hear it from the other. There's been a splitting of the psyche and a, uh, a perversion of the language where you know, I, I think it was Voltaire who said before we debate, you must, you must define your terms. We have to understand each other. What are we talking about when we talk about gender or anything else like that? Because as you can see, there is very, very little we have in common, even when it comes to basic tenets of anything. And this is the number one weapon in making sure that everyone is softened up for accepting a secularist, uh, uh, you know, uh, melted down, non jambalaya kind of a uh, uh, society, godless society. It, it's been uh, in the works all along the way. Oh uh, yeah, un, 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 undoubtedly. I, I just it's a little bit down from there. Uh, I find Channing's remarks before they get into the uh, categoric uh, report or whatever it's called was just kind of chilling. The the tone of it. He says, as some of you have surmised, the ultimate directives contained in the categoric report itself are based on the significant meeting earlier this month at Strasbourg. 
Our own Nicholas Clatterbuck, in fact, prepared the summary of that meeting for Cyrus Bentho. My hope, gentlemen, is that an understanding of the significance of the alliance proposed at Strasbourg will make your minds the more receptive to our proposals. Some of the Vatican personnel at Strasbourg might not have understood how far afield the bridges they proposed might reach, which you get a sense of the next 30 pages after this chapter, that they, they might have been out of their depth. Yep. Who, who would have dreamed that the evolution of the prince's rule would require what the categoric reports calls a religion phase in the evolutionary engineering of the Society of Nations. The organized religions cannot simply be condemned and bypassed in favor of occult practices. They mean they can't fast forward there. That's their goal. All, of course, are part of the process. We now realize that religion is a manifestation of spirit. And I like the next line. It's outside of the, the quotes by uh, Channing. There was a little stirring at that, but as a world ex a class expert on the world's religions, Channing was not to be challenged. Now, this chapter, I just want to get this out there once, has several remarks that assume that the reader understands some of the conditions for the possibility of the Second Vatican Council convened from 1962 to 1965. There's a part where they, uh, maybe we'll talk about it in a second, they make uh, reference to the changed mass, the doing away with really the, the, the old mass, age-old mass, uh, and it's called the Novus Ordo Mass, the, the New Order. And this is the Mass I try to avoid on Sundays. We have to travel all the way to New Orleans uh, to, to go to one. That's where we have our kids catechized, but it's an hour and a half. So sometimes we wind up here in town in Hattiesburg at the Novus Ordo, the new Mass that everyone knows. And, and uh, one of, one of the uh, characters, I think it's Dr. Channing himself, says, oh, this is great. You, you even call it the, the, the New Order, the Novus Ordo, mm. which I've often laughed at. But the architect in real life of the Novus Ordo Mass is uh, uh, Bunini, Annabale Bunini. That they say he's from a Freemasonic family. He's a Monsignor. He's the one that after the council in 1965 uh, closed up, they essentially made a, a subcommittee, like a congressional subcommittee, to go take the suggestions of the council document on the mass called Sacrosanctum Concilium and make it into a real new missile. And it took them about the next four and a half years. And several times, Cardinal Ratzinger, who had become Pope Benedict XVI, and a few of his friends, uh, a few other characters from this novel, went to Pope Paul VI, uh, who they call the good pope in this, uh, a good Pope John is the the first one. He's the the successor to John the twenty third, who closed the council. John the twenty third died during it, and he said, "Look, this guy's crazy. He's trying to make this universalist mass. He's trying to make a he's trying to get rid of Catholicism. He's basically making a mass that is universalist in its appeal. You ought to think of organized religion dying out here, um, j just the way it's been described in the previous." practice. The organized religions uh, can't be condemned and bypassed at once. So you go from the Latin Mass to the, the new Mass, the Novus Ordo Seclorum Mass, the Novus Ordo. And uh, anyway, Pope Paul VI told uh, young Benedict XVI, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, to pound sand. This is my guy. Uh, not two years later, after the Mass, the new Mass was released in early 1970. By 1972, the well-established rumor is that this uh, Monsignor Anibale Bunini from a Freemasonic family had been caught in some sort of Freemasonic ritual 
and he was essentially exiled. He was made papal nuncio to Iran, which is all but exile in the Catholic Church. The papal nuncio has nothing to do there. So the, the architect of the Novus Ordo Mass is by most measures known to be an actual practicing Freemason. And um, I don't know if you guys are Godfather Three fans. Most people aren't. But this is about John Paul I, who allegedly had made a list of all the Freemason cardinals. And several of those cardinals are characters in this story. And allegedly he was assassinated. And I'm rolling a lot into one here. But it, it all has to do with the, the Novus Ordo, the changing universalist practices of the church being discussed here. The next step of the process, it, you know, the, the, the ones that wanted to fast forward uh, the process just wanted to go straight to cultic practices. And all of the, the subtler cardinals are saying, no, as the process concerns religion, we have to homogenize them all first, bring them all together, get rid of the differences between true religion and fake religion. And then we'll eventually get, get rid of it and, and, uh, turn everyone's attention to actual cultic practices, but it's going to require patience. Yeah, I, I um, Godfather 3, that was one thing that I, I really enjoyed about it. Actually, the more I watched it as I got older, the, the, the more it was becoming interesting to me because I had, I had been reading, especially that, I, that one guy. There was this one uh, connected mafioso. He was, um, he was mafioso, and it was... Maybe about 2017, 18. Yep. And he pretty much said, I was part of the assassination team that went in there and, and, and poisoned uh, John Paul I. Um, yep. and, and it was a little bit because of Vatican Bank activity, they said. But also, you can just see a number of reasons why that could have been happened. It could have happened where it could have just been a, uh, a a little bit more of a general crowd pleaser. Because all throughout these chapters that we read in this past week, what you have here is, as you said, a little bit more of a nakedly, perfectly possessed group of internationalist bankers and business interests. And, and you know, that comes out in the chapter 13 as well. That and, and the first thing I thought about was that term that Malachi Martin has said so many times on radio, perfectly possessed people, where they are in perfect union, they have made a contract, they have willingly given their soul up, and they are fine with their decisions, and they love it. And, um, and you have that, and then you have... You know, uh, I, you have these these clergymen, these these uh, churchmen that I don't really think. I think maybe that they have been sold a bad bill of goods about getting the church away from preaching about the mystical, supernatural nature of religion and redemption and all that stuff. Maybe getting away from getting uh, literal with a lot of the a lot of the supernatural aspects of the faith and just trying to universalize it a little bit, dumb it down a little bit more and try to mold it into this internationalist thing. But I, I don't know. And we, it's, it's oh, obviously those who are part of the enthronement have obviously embraced the dark Lord, but um, I don't know how many of these other people showing up really know how, what depths the Reddit really didn't go to because over here, they're talking about, replacement they're talking about assassination is on the table even though it would be a messy thing to do because they already tried it against the slavic pope in 81 apparently that was fouled up and uh, and his and his uh, predecessor had apparently 
you know, uh, among among people who talk in whispers and all that, it had already been done to his predecessor. So uh, it, it's it's really it's really one of those things with this that I and, and the one thing that really gets me down to when it comes to the the form the the trying to melt religion into alignment with new world order. It says this on page one twenty seven. What we must understand is that we are faced today with a new stage that the in the evolutionary process. That's capital P process. The final stage, the creation of a one-world religion, absent all nationalisms, all particularisms, and all culturalisms of the past. Now, in its final stages, this evolutionary process necessarily implies a mechanism by which the religion phase will be refashioned to suit the globalism, the universality of the New World Order. Now, uh, he says, in aiding the process along, our task is to become the aid of each major religion in such a way as uh, to enable them all to come into one universal embrace, into one universal religion, into which no religion will be distinguishable from any other, the perfect handmaiden of the new order. I, I, first thing I thought to myself is, well, obviously we've seen what they have done to Christendom, but Islam is not going to go along with that. It... it, it, it I mean, Islam is not going to go along with that. So what do you do with Islam? And then I started thinking, well, it should be pretty interesting. It's why have they pit, pitted Islam and Judaism against each other so much? Why did they set up Israel right in the middle in this particular... I really do believe that Israel was set up to be destroyed. Eventually, download, I really do believe it's a, a, a major trap for a gigantic Armageddon Armageddon-based war has nothing to do with, you know, faithfully practicing Jews. I'm talking about the people behind the setting up of these geopolitical pieces. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, as we know, we're talking about people who deal in lifetimes to achieve their goals. Israel's not even a hundred years old. I don't think that they. I think that this is a, a pretty uh, a pretty short time frame. Saying how the hell are they going to bring everybody together? When there are definitely more fundamentalist religions out there that are refu- that w- would refuse to walk in line with people like Klaus Schwab, so right. what is this going to be? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's really good stuff. Remember, Pope Pope John Paul II, the Slavic Pope, came under serious fire. It's considered one of the embarrassments of his pontificate when he at something called. The Assisi event, they had Assisi 1, 2, and 3, um, two years apart. In 1986, there's a, an infamous picture of him kissing the Quran. And uh, trads like me say this is a shameful expression of what's being referred to here as universalism. Remember in the first chapters, Frank, when they're, like, when they're talking about the Slavic Pope and they're like, he'll go along with the New World Order, but he opposes it? I, I thought that was a less sympathetic view of JP2. But I'm like, oh, this is old uh, Malachi Martin, ta- you know, making reference to some of his softnesses. And um, you get this expression time and again in the character of Christian uh, Gladstone, right? Where he's like, he's arguing with the uh, the older priest, I forget his name. And he's like, why does JP2 make these concessions? Al- Al- Father this- Aldo. Aldo, Father Aldo, Carnesecca. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Uh, I just need the first name and I'll remember the last name. But yeah, the... Why does he kiss the Quran? Why does he go along with the persecution of uh, the Latin mascores? Why does he let the, the German and the uh, Dutch bishops get away with it all? So what, one thing that's really, really important uh, as we go 
a, a little bit further. There's also some a great a couple chilling quotes on 128 and 129. You get to your red red folder in the 13th chair there, but um, I'll, I'll forget it if I don't make the point now. So forgive if I go out of order, Frank. Uh, another important Vatican II concept creation. Uh, that has a lot of play in about 25 pages of this second reading is the concept of synodality, which you've heard about a lot from Francis. Synodality is the mechanism specifically created at Vatican II, but was pretty mute until um, the Francis pontificate. So uh, it is the mechanism for the democratization of the bishops. They said uh, right in the page 140s, they say, look, we want to we want to decentralize the pontificate. First, we're going to come up with the national bishops conferences. I don't know if any of your 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 people follow Catholic news, but the German national bishops conference are super extreme, and they they get away with it. Uh, they don't get punished. They they say, hey, we're already giving communion to this group or that group. We already have LGBT masses. We already have all this. They get no punishment, even if they're rebutted. Um, but meanwhile, you know, the Latin mass goers are being actually punished and having our, you know, Latin mass taken away from us and things like that. Uh, the, so, so this is the mechanism. First, it'll be the national bishops conferences, which have no magisterial authority. And then furthermore, further uh, fragmentation even from there, then there will be the synodal process and it'll be, you know, regional bishops conferences. So synodality has been the marking... The, it's been the watermark of the Francis pontificate. He talks about synods all the time. They're the mini bishops meeting. They're not the big mm -hmm. ecumenical councils. Um, and he talks about this weird word synodality uh, at next year's synod on synodality, which is hilarious. Uh, Francis has already told us to expect some major surprises from the God of surprises. That means he's going to do something really revolutionary. If he survives the year, uh, lots speculate he has colon cancer, but, all right, I just wanted to get that out there. That's a major theme there. Yeah, that's from about page one thirty to one fifty. Well, yeah. well, listen on that on one twenty eight again. Uh, here's a question I have for you before I go to the thread because I want to read through what people are saying so we can do that and then we can wrap up. Um, and and of course, you know, set the uh, the chapters for next next week. Here is the third paragraph up from the bottom on page one thirty eight. In saying this is an opportunity, we, we remind you that we have a period of between five and seven years remaining to fulfill uh, for us to, uh, before the advantages secured to us in the enthronement will be nullified. That is our categoric persuasion. Now this, remember the enthronement, that horrible um, ritual that we read in the prologue, that happens in 1963. Now here we are in... I don't. I forget what actual year this takes place, but we are in the early to mid '90s in this book, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. So this is about 30 years after the enthronement, and they are saying they're talking about the enthronement ritual as being as running out of juice, pretty much, within five to seven years of this story taking place. This part in the plot. What is it about? What is it about that? What, what's the time? What is the expiration date all about with a uh, a ritual like that that took place with the enthronement? Why does it have only a uh, a, a shelf life of about forty years? A couple things. I was talking to my wife about this um, before before we took this call. 
number one, the millennial powers. Remember, uh, there's supposed. This sounds like Ghostbusters one, which we watched that as a kid. Great, amazing movie. We watched it as a kid. You're reading about Gozo the Gozarian, and as a young agnostic kid that was being raised in Catholic schools, I just thought it was silliness. But um, there's something about the heightened uh, quickening, to borrow Malachi Martin's term himself, uh, around the millennium. You know, there seems to be something there. But between the years 1960 and 2000, those 40 years, which span this same term, remember, that is the time that is essentially borrowed time from the perspective of the third secret of Fatima, which was supposed to be revealed at 1960. Now, I think it ended up being, was it, was it uh, 2005 that it was actually read part of the third secret at Fatima? For Malachi Martin, this all is softwired back to that. Yeah, he's really, really, you know, world's leading expert on Fatima, one of the, the last remaining people that have read the third secret. And he says it's just a huge deal and it's terrifying and it's comprehensive. So sometime between, you know, the, the, the year they did this enthronement, I think comes directly out of uh, what we know of the people that participated in that enthronement. That was a real thing. That is not speculation. One of the characters that's absolutely... Um, Beyond any doubt, involved in that enthronement is Cardinal Bernadine of Chicago, who had a relationship with Saul Alinsky, who had a well-noted rivalry with a very, very goodly Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who you and I have talked about. Archbishop Fulton Sheen reconverted to the church. Bella Dodd, who was, um, had um, gotten 1,200 men into the priesthood for Stalin and the communists. So they were rivals. Bernadine is, is one of the characters in this. His name is uh, something, Leonard, Leonardine or something like that, and uh, Leonardine. He had, uh, where was I going with that? I, I lost the thread here. What did what, 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 you, you ask me, Frank? <laughs> what did I ask? Oh, oh, I was asking about why the expiration date on the enthronement. Like, uh, uh, what, why was, because this is the second, I think this is the second time they mentioned that we may right. only have five to seven years left of the advantages that were afforded to them in the enthronement in 1963. Like, what, what the hell is the... I've never heard about this. Like, it's, um, Yeah, it's, it's very specific. I, I mean, they say no less than five, no more than seven. And it's from 1963, which is the second year of the Second Vatican Council, which is the year, by the way, the first uh, constitution from the Second Vatican Council was released. The one... Um, remaking the mass uh which is going to be a theme that'll come up a time and again so it's like from the time that they released the document where they remade the mass 1963 same year till about uh, you know outside chance 40 years from then about 2003 uh i don't know but but you're on borrowed time because fatima's third secret was supposed to have been revealed right around that time the start of the council Maybe it's millennial power. Also, they thought that JP2 was going to die as early as the late 90s. Mm -hmm. So these are just practical considerations. The, the, the short answer is I, I'm not 100% sure, but they thought he was going to die in 98, 99, 2000. He struggled on with the Parkinson's for another half decade, and you don't get the conclave until 2005 when he actually dies. Yeah, And th that's when his successor was... 
you know, Ratzinger, who is a character in this. And um, they, they figured then, there's a great spot in it uh, later in this chapter where they're like, look, that's when we're going to get our guy. And they very damn well near did get their guy in at that conclave in 2005, but he turned out second in the voting. They started in 1996 to have the Sankt Gallen Mafia group, which I think is being referenced here in this chapter, or in the next chapter, um, to avoid the Ratzinger pontificate and to get a Bergoglio pontificate, uh, who would be the first Jesuit pope, all that stuff. Um, So think about it. They nearly got him. If so, then it accords with what Malachi Martin is saying in this chapter perfectly, that uh, as soon as JP2 is forced out, then they're going to get their guy. That guy had been pre-selected by Cardinal uh, Aretini. His real name in real life is Silvestrini from Gold to Silver. He's not, not being too subtle here. Cardinal Aretini was the new leader of the Gollin group who was putting forward Pope Francis. All this was underway during... You know, during this time, nineteen ninety six. It's not. It's not. It really. It, it also makes you. Th- and obviously, we we still have another four hundred pages to go. So there is. Uh, there's probably going to be a lot of these answers to our questions here, especially about the the, the timing running out with whatever kind of uh, the, the dark advantages that they had gained through those rituals that they did in the prologue in nineteen sixty three. But uh, it also makes you wonder what they may have had to do since then to uh get their juju back up you know if the if the if if the sand was running through the hourglass in 1995 six seven then what the hell they have to do to charge up their batteries going into the new millennium it makes you shudder to think but we know that the world is awash with this kind of evil so um now just to just to really quickly throw together what the the next few um uh, chapters are about because i got to get into this thread and read everybody's uh, thoughts on this you jump around now it's it's they have to get the gladstone brothers uh working with each other they need paul to go work on the banking internationalist side of things i think they're going to be getting him as the secretary general of the eu it's the ec in this and um and then as far as christian goes he is really really suspicious as to why he is being tapped on the shoulder by this this uh, Cardinal O'Leary, who I just read, is actually John O'Connor from New York, which he was, that guy was very, very well loved over here in New York. Growing up with him um, over there presiding over Mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral, um, very, very well loved. So I started thinking, is Windswept House actually in New York? Because I, I don't know. I mean, in, in this, it's Galveston, Texas, which is in the Diocese of of uh, New Orleans, um, but if if he's switching this all around, maybe this is a New York story. Uh, who the hell knows? But either way, what we're getting set up for now is this meeting. So Oriati, that's the guy's name, he, uh, he's been tasked with going out and meeting John O'Connor, O'Leary, with saying, hey, listen, I understand that you have a lot of a lot of aspirations, personal aspirations to go and work and live and be in Rome. But we need to, and he has to be very diplomatic about it, we need to make a, we need to make this Christian Gladstone a permanent presence in Rome, and you have to help us make that happen. And uh, and he's very enthusiastically did, but then he starts realizing he's being 
put in a position for something and he's being played in some way and manipulated. It, he, I don't take it from Malachi Martin's writing that uh, that O'Leary here is a uh, a character not to be trusted. He seems like he's he's a pretty genial guy and is just trying to do what he can, but he has his own suspicions. Either way, now he has to he has the daunting task of facing the Gladstone's mother, who's about 70 years old. You learn a lot about her story in the, the in the in chapter 19 about where she came from, her as a dancer, but a person of of really tremendously solid faith and very dutiful in um in 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 expressing and practicing her faith, which is I think that whole chapter is very is very refreshing in the fact that all we are 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 learning about and reading about are these duplicitous men um these duplicitous characters that are supposed to be in in uh, positions of making sure that the faith is followed and and being renewed and 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 being kept relevant in people's lives and they are the exact opposite and they're they're trying to work toward that faith's end and here is just a a uh, regular old woman um well she's she's very wealthy but she is so dutiful in her um in what drives her spiritually and that's where we leave off because she is getting windswept house prepared for an end of summer reunion with her two sons that are obviously being pitted against each other they don't know it yet but they're going to be pitting against each other on one side of the spectrum the internationalist banker uh, politician side and the faith that is being perverted what is going to happen we don't know but um that's where we left off. Let's get to a couple of th- threads, and Tim, just jump in wherever the hell you want. Um, Robert Solario, he he sent in, he said, "Hey Frank, page one sixteen, quote, I know that uh, I I know how that force, as embodied in the the charismatic movement, has ushered many millions of Catholics away from the formula of devotion to the historical Christ." End quote. Frank, that happened to me, but now I'm going back. How about you? So I, th- I think that has definitely been, um, that has definitely been the, the case for a lot of people, and it's not even so much about being pulled away from the from the historic the devotion to the historical Christ to something else. I think that a lot of the the very obvious uh, problems, especially the public relations problems the Catholic Church has had with the, the the rape and all this other stuff, it has just made a lot of people indifferent. Uh, perhaps not so much, not so much casting aspersions on Jesus Christ Himself, though I'm sure many of those who were uh, assaulted by clergymen might uh, extrapolate out that hate and disdain for uh, to to God Himself. Or why would you let this happen to me? I, the, the damage that is done by this kind of infiltration and this kind of evil for people across the board for generations. How faith is affected. I think that's that's huge, and it's it's the it's the worst part of the plan, you know. It's the worst part of the plan to uh, to to lead people away from any kind of spiritual grounding in their lives, regardless of what what you may believe. It's uh, it's the most insidious thing here. Um, Tim, you got I anything also, on that? Yeah, I was. I, it's just one throwaway comment. I, I agree with everything you said. Of course, uh, we've talked about that many times, but. The charismatic movement is a strange thing in Roman Catholicism. I was surprised to find just one throwaway comment uh, about the charismatic movement. It's sort of the, it's 
faithful, but it's anti-trad. It's almost like evangelical uh, spiritualism of, of a Protestant brand. It's like people might not know what it, it, it uh, is. It's like speaking in tongues. And uh, it's very big with certain groups, but it's kind of anti-trad, anti-traditionalist. New, still faithful, but it's a bunch of cat. What's a better way to describe it than that? I, I'm just surprised that he made this remark so negative about the charismatic. We always kind of make jokes about him, but they're not necessarily unfaithful. I just, I was looking for more uh, garnish on the plate from, right. from Malcolm Martin in terms. I, I'm not surprised he doesn't like charismatics, but um, it, it just seemed like it barely had a context and probably most people missed what he even meant by charismatic. Me, oh, you I certainly about. did. I certainly yeah. did. But uh, of course, uh, I was just whenever I something doesn't, I don't know the details behind it. Uh, there's there's other ways in in a in a sentence that you can really pull away what um, whether or not it was a, a something that that ended up being something that was restorative, or something that would work to the the um, I don't know a damaging end, and yeah. obviously. Obviously, anything that pulls somebody away from the, uh, the historical um, uh, object and subject of Christ uh, is not going to be a positive. So I just took that before I, because anytime I stop reading to go research something, then a chapter takes days to finish. I can find something to talk about in every other sentence of, of something I read, so I have to just right. keep moving there. All right, right. He, here's a little more. Um this is from the thread. Buckeye Stephen says the structure of the new church with all the bishops being equal to each other in uh, power and influence and equal to the Pope sounds like the same kind of commie gobbledygook that the Bolsheviks promised and do promise when in actuality they centralize power and wealth among their chosen few before ruining society and everyone else's lives. 100%. Um, we have one here from Seed says, I'm playing catch-up. I just passed page 100. So far, I'm drawing parallels to modern-day uh, Vatican slash EU BlackRock. Yes, well, there's, it's, you're going to see a lot more parallels in the coming 80 pages after that, for sure. Uh, appropriate Mess says, I'm seeing parallels to the EU as well. Again, the arrogance, smugness of the plotters like Mastroianni, thinking all the bishops will easily be brought into one line of thinking. I keep thinking of Klaus Schwab and the you will own nothing and like it mentality. Loving, uh, love how they think that the Gladstone brothers, once in place, will bring all this to fruition. Yes, Paul may be more pliable, but we all know Christian isn't exactly who they think he is. Really enjoying the read. Yes, no, they have set, we are being set up for a really interesting confrontation among blood relatives. Uh, that 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 is going to be very interesting. Are we confident, or are you confident, Frank? Just to make a guess here, because we haven't met Paul, right? I'm right. a little behind too. I didn't finish the full hundred. Do you meet Paul yet, or is he no. prepared? So we don't know for certain that he's the black sheep and that Christian. We know Christian's good, but is the brother Paul? Maybe are they betting too much on Paul joining them in their? Uh, He's a, he's a known quantity, so there's at least a little bit more confidence in him. What I'm yeah. going to be interested to see is how much of, how how close were Paul and Christian, and how much can Christian right. call him back to right. to what they know, what they how they grew up, how can his how the how is their mother going to intervene? That once again, that matri you have this this uh, uh, a world uh, in turmoil 
brothers pitted against each other. And of course, that matriarchal figure that uh, almost like the, the Blessed Virgin herself that uh, that that can that people can find solace in what what does the mother have to play in this going forward now as far as um, as far as how lost he is I don't know we do we have not met him yet it's he's just been a name that has been dropped and I think it was the second to last chapter that we had this um, what's the guy's name he's the American he is the uh, the naval intelligence officer Appleyard. Appleyard. He, he was he was in Washington D.C. and they had just because they need to know what's going on around the world too, what the EU is doing and all that stuff. And they just received a last minute dossier on one Paul Gladstone, who had just been nominated as the Secretary General of the EC, the EU. And uh, and they're trying to figure out why this is uh, this is. Um, why this is strategic, especially for the United States going forward, because, you know, it, 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 an American guy, an American man, is now in line for this post in Europe. And even though he's not really known to anybody, uh, it's of American interest, because now America seemingly has a vote in European politics, perhaps. So that's really the last we have, because the final chapter in this segment that we did was of Ceci, their mother. And uh, that's what we got. Um, let's see what else we have here. A couple more. Uh, Monica, Monica, Monica Lewinsky says, I love the descriptions given of Francesca Gladstone. Her story is beautiful and tragic. The details of Windswept House took me to a place very misty and far away. I can hear the sea and imagine Ceci pacing in the chapel, clinging to her rosary beads, pleading to the heavens for her sons. The love she has for her children is believable. I'm worried with her and nervous about how this plot will unfold. The meetings and conversations that the serpents have are a little dry, maybe because they are so many characters to keep track of. I have to reread some of those passages, so I'm looking forward to hearing what Timothy has to say and explain the politics a little bit more. I would say before Timothy sinks his teeth in that, yeah, the um, the conversations between the globalists and especially the clergymen they are a little dry because these are dry, these are dry very um very surgical men and women I, well there's not a lot of women in this but th these are very surgical types of people um it, it's even said there too the reason why people like uh, christian gladstone stands out is because he doesn't have that machiavellian edge to him he doesn't keep his his uh, cards close to his chest. They're not all playing against... You're talking about men of incredible power and influence in their respective fields that know it's a weakness to show uh, emotion. Uh, they, they try to keep... They try to not only manage their own emotions, but they try to also cater to the egos around them to make sure that they keep each other in orbit. So it does seem a little bit dry, but you're... This is the way the world is. Um, you know, it's not all Megan Fox drinking blood of her boyfriend. You know, like 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 animals. The this is the these are the real power brokers. These are the beyond a listers. When we talk about oh, you know, Elon Musk is the most uh, is is uh, is uh, the most wealthy person in the world. Said so, no, that he's the most wealthy person at the top of the public list. You know that right. it's there. There is there is a whole other galaxy that exists outside of the movie we watch every day 
and this is the way it is. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, it, it is surprisingly dry. I mean, it's funny that when you consider chapter 13, Friends of Friends, and then, um, and then chapter 14, it's like, it's like the secular Friends of Friends chapter and then whatever w the, the religious ecclesiastical Friends of Friends is 14. You're like, man, this is a bunch of meetings between dry, calculating Machiavellian men and um, it's funny, he doesn't insert as the novelist uh, some action in there, which normally you might think a, a novelist today would be like, well, let me, let me get, a, get in a little action, even if it's the kind of incidental stuff we get with uh, the rushed faxing of the Bernini photo to, to the Pope, you know, where you get some action. So it's not just like one of uh, the platonic dialogues where it's kind of like a play, but there's no actual action. They're just talking the whole time. Mm. You know, like when uh, they go to the, the, the little uh, cafe for breakfast near the Angelicum, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is some action. Nevertheless, it's dry. I was telling some friends of mine who were like, I meant to start this reading group with you and Frank. How's it going? I'm like, it's interesting. It just it it uh, it's more plotting. It's not plotting and, and boring at all. I'm I'm loving it. Uh, it's just interesting and a little slower. It's much like the book I've been telling you about for a long time, Frank. I can't remember if you read it. Uh, Father Elijah. I, that, I, that, I, yes, I have yeah, read it. I, I finished that. it. I finished it a couple of weeks before we started this, and I, I absolutely loved it. There's a lot more action uh, in there as of right now. But the, you know, yeah. you know, that's another 600-page book, and I think I feel like it, you can tell what was going on and what they were setting up in Father Elijah as well. And when I was when I was seeing how this this segment ends with uh, the, the setting up of this meeting between the brothers. It, it kind of made me feel that kind of tickle that I uh, I felt when I realized that Father Elijah was going to go meet with the president of the right. European Union there and that there was going to be a real confrontation between uh, the, the humble uh, a humble man of God and a uh, an incredibly powerful uh, driven by darkness kind of uh figure it was uh it's great you talk about david and goliath it almost feels like how the hell can this little this little man prevail you know how yeah. can how can christian gladstone prevail exactly. against the kind of people that we are reading about in these these opulent summits in strasbourg or even on on the uh, uh along the 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 hudson river uh, riverside drive you know, right. how can they possibly prevail? Um, but then again, you know, that's the, uh, the the fool's errand of evil, you know. Uh, we always ask that question. Why do they even try if God wins in the end? But they try, they will. There we go. Yeah, it's weird because even the uh, the title, I, I, I forgot you, you read that. It's just it's same same stuff. That's written in 97. This is written in 96. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And they're both talking about popes being forced into resignation which didn't happen until 2012, assuming that that's what happened. Um, but they call it the seal of the final utterance on his soul is what each of these uh, 12 or 13 of these dark, dark concilium. Concilium is a Catholic world, right? Word. We've had 21 ecumenical councils. So all of these different uh, satanic conciliums, uh, inverted upside down conciliums, they all know that I have this dark mark on my soul. And uh, it's, a, it's a fool's errand, like you said. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, um, 
what do you think about the next next week? Uh, I mean, we end on uh, chapter twenty begins on one eighty three. Uh, I I don't want to. If some people are behind, I don't want to overburden by saying, "Hey, let's do another hundred pages and go to page two eighty, which is chapter twenty eight. That would be a that I would take a chunk out if if you think it's possible. Or what do you think? Oh, so you, sorry to be remedial, Frank. You only read to one eighty three. I read to one eighty three. That's the end of chapter nineteen. Gotcha. Okay, sorry. So I'm not I'm not so far behind. Uh, I'm barely behind then. Uh, I I thought we were going to. Yeah, I just forgot. Well, a clean, so almost a clean hundred pages after that is is the first, the first side of chapter twenty eight. We could do the eight next eight chapters if you like. Whatever you want. I'm I'm a slow reader. I, I'm a fast writer, but I'm a slow reader. So whatever you want, I'm always fine with eighty pages instead of a hundred. But but it's it's uh, you're you're at the helm of the ship. All right. Oh, shit. Well then, let's see here. What's uh? Hold on. Let's see. Where's two? Let me go to two eighty, and we'll work our way back. I don't want to. I don't want to break people's brains here. I know that everybody has their lives uh, aside from this. So two eighty is chapter twenty eight. Um, yeah. Let's see what's around. 250. Hold on. Let's go to... Um, shit, now it's 240. Okay, um, well, where the hell are you? It's 26. That's way after. Of Mice and Men is a long chat. It's on page one. Sorry, two. It's on 300. 299. No, 26. Oh, that's 28. What shit? Uh... 26 is on page 257. Okay, let's do this. Let's do chapter 20 to 20 uh, and then finish 25. So you're going to be reading to page 257, which is where chapter 26 begins. That's better than 283, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. So two, uh, if you got the paperback, it's 183, page 183 to 257, and we will convene. Next week we should be able to do it after the um, after the the, uh, the Saturday, the Friday night broadcast of Quite Frankly. We, maybe we can do an 830 again. Just right now I'm going to take off and, uh, and uh, enjoy uh, a birthday night with my wife. So that'll, that'll be that. Tim, I appreciate this so much i'm having so much fun with this i hope everybody else is having one too um so just remember next time i think we're going to be ready to see how this meeting maybe it happens in the next couple of chapters between the gladstone brothers and um everybody's just positioning their pieces on the board again to try to to take out um to i I can capture some major major offices around the world and and who the hell knows? I don't know. We here we are a couple of decades later, Tim, and it seems like they've actually done a pretty good job. I don't know. It's like whatever defeats that they are delivered at the end of this book, uh, it wasn't too distur- uh, too disturbing to their plans. <laughs> no. Yeah. What, it, what were they talking about? COVID too? You know, it's funny. maybe they were planning that shit out uh, in in '96 as well. Yeah. I, I don't think they were set back too too far because they. They're doing pretty well in 2022. Happy birthday to your wife, uh, Frank. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, some of this setup eventuating here. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Me I'm too. Just, 
reading. Me too. And then we also, we got to think about some other, even if we go to other topics and other books and stuff, I just like doing the, you know, we should do other book club uh, titles together, even if it's not even in this theme. This is just a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I do. I do any with them. I still need to send you the Michael O'Brien interview with Father Fessio with some amazing, amazing Easter eggs where he, he mentions the inspiration for Father Elijah. I, I, I forgot whether you'd read it or you're about to read no, it. No, no, I haven't. I, I, already, I already knocked it out. And in fact, after I do this, I was going to go and pay. I didn't hear two, uh, two dazzling things about Father Elijah in Jerusalem. or It's like the, the, the conclusion. I didn't hear dazzling things about it, but th- this one no was good. so good. Yeah, so Father Elijah is like one of the best things I've ever read. It's like a movie script. Yeah. Like uh, just a faster version of this, lots of similar themes. And, and the, the, the sequel, like, I wish I could say better things about. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm having a great time. I hope you are too. Happy birthday to your wife and uh, enjoy dinner, my friend. Thank you. All, all the best to you, to Steph, to all the kids, and I'll talk to you later on. All right, peace. Thanks. Take care. Peace out, my friend. There is Timothy Gordon. And for everybody at home, let me just thank you. I'm going to go into the, the chat room real quick. I see Yaya. What's going on? Michael's girl. Moanon. Mary Magdalene. 777. Uh, one for all. I'm glad that you're all having a good time. Um, gentle with wings. Thank you. Very, very nice gathering we have here. And um, and I, I appreciate this. I'll get this up on the podcast. And I hope that you enjoy reading along. And we will see you on... Uh, well, I'll be back, quite frankly, on Monday. But Sunday night, I'll be on with Zoso Dude. So I'll, I'll see you there for Mystery Ship. Until then, good evening.